Welcome to the VIP Jazzwell Report, the report that asks insightful questions and gets revealing answers from people whose lives are faced with dilemmas and challenges beyond the ordinary. From burgers to pizza to banking to Republican candidate for the presidency and now a media icon in his own right, this man has done it all and then some. Our guest today is none other than the illustrious Mr. Herman Cain. Welcome to the show, Herman. Well, thank you, Vip. I've never been considered an icon, but thank you for the introduction. You've never been on the Vip Jazzwell Report either, so here we go. I guess that makes me an icon. There you go. <laughs> I want this show to be about Herman the Man. I want our listeners to know what in your life has made yep. you the man you are today, your beliefs, and what lies ahead for you in your journey of life. So you yep. grew up in Atlanta, Georgia. What was it like growing up in the South? Growing up in the South in the 50s and the 60s, it was challenging because of the social conditions of the time. As you know, uh, segregation was still very much prevalent at that time, but uh, we dealt with it. We dealt with it, and uh, we sucked it up, and we didn't like it. It was frustrating, and it was humiliating, but we knew that the struggle for the Civil Rights Act of 1964 and the Voting Rights Act of 1965 was a struggle that everybody emotionally was a part of. So we dealt with it, and eventually we got redemption in 64 and 65. And it's a, it's, it really is quite an experience to have lived through the change in this country from segregation to liberalization of our laws to apply to everyone. Well, you've had a string of successes in your life, from Burger King to Godfather's Pizza to banking. Where do you get your work ethic from? My work ethic comes from my father and my mother. Uh, at one point, see, my mother and my father both, they had uh, rural educations. My mother actually only finished the eighth grade. Mm -hmm. My father finished the twelfth grade, but he actually attended in Tennessee a one room schoolhouse for blacks where the teachers tried to teach all of the grades at one time but my father had a lot of common sense and he was interested in learning uh and i often tell people that even though my father had a rural uh one room schoolhouse education right. he had a phd in common sense that's how he succeeded and his work ethic rubbed off on me, and it's probably in my genes, which is where I get my work ethic from. Now, you've heard of the saying, jack of all trades and master of none? That was in the old days. Right, but in your case, you seem to have proved them wrong because you seem to be jack and master with your successful track record. What's your secret of success apart from hard work? Yeah, jack and master of many trades. And that's because in any job that I've had, I always looked at it as an opportunity to learn. For example, I develop a very uh, compelling speaking style mm -hmm. and eventually became a professional keynote speaker in conjunction with my corporate responsibilities at Burger King, Godfathers, uh, the National Restaurant Association, etc. Now, what people don't know, in keeping with the theme of your show, is that when I was in high school, I couldn't complete a grammatical sentence without errors, and I was absolutely nervous about having to speak in public and being able to speak grammatically correct. So what I did was I made it a uh, in 
initiative of my own when I was in college to improve my vocabulary, improve my speaking skills, and probably the epitome of my self-taught efforts over the years came out of speech in San Antonio, Texas, about 10 years ago. I was speaking at a conference in San Antonio of meeting planners. They had about 2,000 attendees. I was one of the keynote speakers, and I spoke on the topic of leadership. And afterwards, I'm used to getting comments from people about, I love the content of your speech. I love the way you distill the concept of leadership. But one gentleman came up to me and said, Mr. Kane, I have one question. I said, what's that? He said, that was a magnificent 60-minute speech mm-hmm. because people didn't realize it was six minutes long because of the style that I used to, to do my speeches. He said, my only question is, how did you do that entire speech without ever saying, uh? I never use uh in between phrases or sentences. And it made me realize just how far I had come by self-teaching myself to be an accomplished speaker. So your secret of success is a determination to learn. A determination to learn and a dedication to learning. So do you think you also have an insecurity within you of the fear of failure, and that is what drives you? No. Never feared failure. Many of the failures that I have had have been those times when I have entrusted other people in their dreams and their ideas. I have never feared personal failure. Uh, that has never been one of the barriers that has held me back, no. Do you think you get bored easily? Because you've not only climbed the corporate ladder, you've jumped across various corporations, and then you've moved across different industries with remarkable success. You keep moving. Yes, I do get bored easily. The best way to describe it is when I was at the Pillsbury Company, mm-hmm. I rose up through the staff ranks from a manager to a director to a senior director, and eventually became the youngest vice president in the history of the Pillsbury Company in charge of their corporate computer systems and all of their corporate administrative services. After I got that responsibility and did it for approximately two and a half to three years, I did get bored. And so I needed a new dream. I tell people, and young people especially, that in life you need to always have a dream. Yes, you need goals. But the goals are stepping stones to your dream. I had a dream when I was in my 20s to get, a, get my master's degree. I did. I got it four years early. I had a dream in my 30s to become a vice president of a corporation before I was 40. I did. I became vice president at 34. And then I had a new dream when I got that VP job to become president of a company by the time I was 50. I didn't. I became president of Godfathers at age 40. Always have a dream. It gives you something to work for and to look forward to. Now, you had a very successful corporate life. So why go into the unstructured world of politics? Because once you reach a level where you know you're comfortable with your financial security, Mm -hmm. 
I'm not a multi-billionaire. I'm not even a multi-millionaire, but I knew that throughout my 40-year career that I had uh, saved enough and put enough away for my wife and I to live comfortably uh, for the rest of our lives. So when you reach that point, you ask yourself, why else are you on this planet? And my answer has always been to make a difference. And I was frustrated, like many people, with the political scene, the political structure, the lack of results in Washington, D.C. So I was self-motivated to want to do something about it. That's what drove me into the political arena. I did it in 2004. 2004, that's right. Running for the United States Senate. Uh, came in a an impressive close second. And then later decided to run for president. And as you know, when I ran for president, as soon as I became number one in the polls, I was viciously attacked by people who felt threatened by my success. And because I could not stand to allow the press to continue to run the same stories falsely over and over and over, and the impact it was having on my family, that's when I decided to drop out of the race. Well, in a way, you returned stronger than ever. What What is your driving force within yourself? I think, I think my driving force is you may knock me down, but I'm going to get back up. And after I dropped out of the race, it was WSB Cox Radio out of Atlanta. They came to me and said, would you consider taking this syndicated radio show? At first, I said, nah, I think I just want to be in cruise control for a while. Mm-hmm. They persisted. And the more I thought about, how do I continue to be a thorn in the side of those that don't like my position on issues, and how can I continue to be an inspiring voice for people who really want to see some changes in this country, the United States of America. And that's when it became clearer to me that this could be a major opportunity to give me a platform to continue to talk about the things that I believe in and to talk about the things that a lot of Americans also believe in. If you'd been elected president, what was what were the fir- top three things that you were going to change to make America or give it the greatness it once had? The number one thing that I would have been promoting from the bully pulpit of President of the United States would be to replace our current tax code. Our current tax code is an abominable mess. It's been around for 100 years. It has only gotten more complicated. It has only gotten bigger. And it is used by politicians to try and manipulate people's behavior manipulate business behavior, I would have put on a very strong, high-profile presidential leadership move to replace the tax code. One of the reasons that we haven't replaced it is because there are good ideas out there of what to replace it with, but the, but the people that want to keep the status quo, because it gives them a mechanism for manipulating uh, the society, people, businesses, and families, they don't want to change it. They don't want to give up that control. And the second thing you would have changed? I would have wrestled that control away from what I call the political class. That would have been my number one priority. Here's number two. I would have restructured Social Security and Medicare in order to get it off of this path of financial bankruptcy. 
Restructuring does not mean that you are going to reduce people's benefits. It means you're going to create a structure where people make decisions about the benefits that they receive and not government. And the third? The third thing that would have been a priority for me would have been to rebuild the strength of the United States military. I'm a big proponent of Ronald Reagan's philosophy of peace through strength, although I extended it with peace through strength and clarity. Our enemies need to clearly understand where we are coming from, and our friends need to clearly understand that we are with them. Those would have been my three top priorities. How are you regarded by the African-American community since you're not necessarily a supporter of the current administration? I was, I was regarded by the African-American community, which I refer to as the black community. Okay. Uh, it's just a matter of what you prefer. I'm not offended if someone calls me African-American, but I prefer going by the term that I grew up with as a black American. In fact, I call myself an ABC, an American black conservative. I believe in the Constitution, <laughs> and I believe in the power of the people. Right. Ironically, and this is just based upon anecdotal feedback from phone calls and support from people, I believe that at least a third of the black community was cheering me on. I've even had people volunteer and tell me that they were hoping that I would become the Republican nominee and that they were going to support me. So you're going to have uh, a large portion of the black community who resent me because they resent my conservative views. And in the words of my grandfather, I does not care. I am not going to be intimidated into thinking the way somebody else wants me to think. I am going to share my views, and I believe that there are more people, more black Americans who share those same views than most people think. So why are so few blacks part of the Republican Party then? Because the Republican Party has done a lousy job of articulating its message, articulating its principles, and articulating what it wants to do to try to help all people. They are lousy marketers. So what are the values of the Republican philosophy that endear you to be one? The, thing, the values of the Republican Party that causes me to choose the Republican Party. Now, let me clarify something, Deb. Mm-hmm. I am a conservative. And my only alternative is the Republican Party. That's the way a lot of conservatives feel. I don't consider myself a Republican first. I consider myself a conservative first. And that means I believe in the Constitution. I believe in less government, less taxes, and more individual responsibility. That's how I define a conservative. And a liberal is just the opposite. The Republican Party is the only party of the two major parties that comes close to those things that I have stated in terms of what they actually do. So you were considering setting up a third party, right, as an alternative to the Republican Party? I made that statement, uh, but not in a serious note, and here's why. Mm -hmm. It's too difficult and too expensive. The two parties have set the structure up such that it would be very difficult. Just take a look at the Libertarian Party. The Libertarian Party has been around for at least two decades, but they have never been able to get critical mass. Why? 
because the rules are set up state by state that if you were to try to start a third party, you almost have to have, to have 50 organizations funded 50 different ways in order to be able to make it work. So the two parties are basically uh, turning the system into a two-party system, and it would be very difficult. I don't have the money nor the time to try and overcome those 50 barriers that they have created in order to create a third party. Well, you talk about dreams, but if you were to achieve this dream, who would be part of your dream team? Which dream are you talking about? Setting up this third alternative party. Oh, there are a lot of people that could be on this dream team. Um, Lieutenant Colonel... Um, West, who unfortunately was defeated for his congressional seat recently, uh, he would be on my dream team mm-hmm. because he tells it like it is. Right. I would probably uh, appoint. I would probably recommend him for uh, defense secretary. Why? He served in the military for over twenty years, so he understands the military, and as a United States congressman. He was direct, outspoken, and unafraid. Those are the kind of people that I would surround myself with. Um, Others that I could think about that uh, would be some people that I would want to be a part of my dream team would be someone like former United States Congressman J.C. Watts. He was in Congress for eight years, four terms, did a great job, very well respected. He understands what goes on in Washington, but more importantly, he always stayed in touch with the people. And that's the problem that we have today with the political class in Washington, D.C., versus the working class. Uh, That's two of the people that I would consider part of my dream team. Senator Ron Johnson out of Wisconsin, he is a first-term United States senator. Uh, He happens to be white. I don't care what color you are. But Senator Ron Johnson was a businessman who ran for office and got elected, and he is trying to shake up the status quo in Washington, D.C. He would be one of the people that I would want to depend upon to be a part of my cabinet because, you see, as a leader, what I have done, and it goes back to something that you mentioned earlier about why I have been able to be successful in different genres and different types of businesses throughout my career. I am not afraid to surround myself with people that are smarter than I in certain areas. And I also surround myself with people who are not afraid to tell me what I need to hear and not just what I want to hear. So Senator Ron Johnson, J.C. Watts, Lieutenant Colonel Allen West are three of the top people to come to mind off the top of my head that I would definitely ask to be a part of some of the dramatic changes that I would want to make if I were president of the United States of America. Well, thank you for that. From business to politics to media, you've set up quite a remarkable media presence through your radio shows and TV presence. Tell us about it. And I believe that I've been successful in all three of those because the word is a very powerful tool. And people who learn how to use it effectively, they can change minds and they can change hearts. To President Obama's credit, he understands that. He understands that better than a lot of politicians, and he uses that. But he uses it, in my opinion, in a negative way 
to appeal to uh, the least of us, to appeal to those most vulnerable in order to secure their votes. I would use that same ability to appeal to those who weren't necessarily looking for uh, the least that they could get from government. I would use that same capability to appeal to those that were looking for the most out of life, not the least out of life. Now, you have Kane TV, am I right? You're correct. KaneTV.com, where we post segments of my radio show every day. Right. And we also post some of my uh, Fox News Channel media interviews. And what about the other websites? The other websites under HermanCain.com, you have KaneTV.com, and we have an online activist uh, site called HITM, H-I-T-M, where we invite people to join simply by giving us their name and their email address such that we can keep them informed of critical issues, critical votes coming up in Congress. For example, uh, the United Nations recently passed an arms treaty. Well, we're going to send out what we call a cane alert, encouraging our members. And right now we have nearly 10,000 members, and we hope to that, turn that into a million-plus members and ask them to contact their senators and say vote no on the United Nations Arms Treaty because it waters down the Second Amendment to the Constitution of the United States of America. So is this a strategy that you, by staying in the public arena, that you might return to politics one day? Absolutely not. It is a strategy to stay in the public eye in order to be able to influence the public, not necessarily run for public office again. I am very blessed to have my health at the age that I am, mm -hmm. uh, but I do not have a 10 or 15-year strategy to get back into politics. If I can get enough people to wake up and smell the roses, wake up and read the fine print, wake up and see the direction that we're heading and do something about it, then I will be able to say that I made a difference. Now, I refuse to believe that this is your last stop in life. So we were talking about dreams earlier. What's your dream now? You know, that's an interesting question because when I was a vice president at Pillsbury at age 34, I never dreamed that I would even run for public office, and I ran twice. I never dreamed that I would be a syndicated radio talk show host, but it happened. And I certainly never dreamed that I would be a regular contributor on Fox News Channel. So at this point, my primary dream is for enough people to be actively involved in the political process and influencing our elected leaders that they cause major changes. I reminded my listeners today on my radio show, because often they ask, what can we do? And it's easy to be frustrated with how hard it is to change something in Washington, D.C. And I reminded them, you know, we only need 60 United States senators to listen to the people to change things. And we only need 218 members of the House of Representatives to change things. Keep that in perspective. And so that's the strategy. And if we can take over the control of the Senate, meaning conservatives through the Republican Party, 
there are no conservatives in the Democratic Party that are willing to step up and admit it, then we can change things. That's my new dream right now. Well, you know what I think you'd be good at? I think you'd make a great U.S. ambassador. <laughs> I don't think so. Well, wait a minute. Let me rephrase that. I would make a great U.S. ambassador, but that would be a waste of my, my talents and my skills. As a U.S. ambassador, to me, unless I totally misunderstand the role, you are there to be a bridge and a massage therapist between the relations of the United States and another country. Well, it's not getting us very far, that strategy. We need someone who's going to say it as it is. Well, I want to I can see you in the Middle East. America. I want to help change Washington, D.C. It's a harder, more challenging job, but that's what I want to try and do, and that's why I am doing radio and TV. Well, Herman, what's the legacy you wish to leave behind in your life? On my tombstone, it'll say, he made a difference in the story. Well, on that note, thank you for coming on the show, Herman. It's been my pleasure, and I hope we get a chance to do it again. Thank you very much. Thanks, Bill. My pleasure. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that was the delightful Herman Cain, the man behind the image. Feel free to send in your comments to our Facebook page at facebook.com slash the Vip Jaswell Report or tweet me if you dare at Vip Jaswell on Twitter. Thank you for listening and keep your ears open for the next airing of the Vip Jaswell Report. Coming soon. <laughs>